0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 164th episode of the Truth Island podcast. The word motivation is perhaps one of the most subjective forces in human nature. A biologist might be quick to declare that humans are motivated by nothing else other than the need to survive and procreate. And yet, there have been numerous examples in history of people that were motivated by forces outside the powers of nature. There have been countless figures that had no families, already had families, were born very wealthy or grew up in abject poverty, and yet still managed to achieve incredible things. There have also been celebrated stories in our canon of people risking their lives for the good of everyone else. If science is correct that all behavior derives from the need to survive, how could we possibly live in a world where soldiers and firefighters risk their lives on a reoccurring basis, especially when the pay for these jobs remains relatively low? Some literary experts might argue that human behavior is better seen through the lens of wanting to be remembered or being well thought of. For example, it is not uncommon for famous or wealthy people to donate money towards museum or institutions in the waning years of their life or make elaborate funeral plans so that they can be remembered long after they are gone. Psychologists would argue that such behavior is a form of death avoidance, as everyone secretly aspires to be immortal. But because this remains a practical unreality, the next best solution is to create a legacy in which one's name will still be uttered among students of history. It is fair to say that the latter approach to life is certainly rare, as the average person is more concerned with whether their wife still loves them than what future students will think of them on page 436 of some history textbook. Perhaps then the answer lies with the common man, that the ultimate motivation for humans is not procreation or fame in posterity, but rather the approbation of those fortunate enough to be in their life at the present moment. Joining me to help figure out what motivates people, I'm once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, what motivates you to come to this podcast week after week?
1: Oh, would you believe me if I said your sexy, sexy voice?
0: (laughs) I thought it was like the uh, enormous pay that I'm giving you for this thing, you know?
1: (laughs) Oh yes, that's true. millions upon millions. Um, right,
0: right. The, the millions, the millions of dollars in checks I'm giving you. Okay, um, so this is like an interesting one here because I think that what's become in vogue right now is the scientific explanation that, um, you know, we're just here to survive to pro procre- procreate. We're all self preservationists. I think that's definitely getting a lot of steam amongst the scientific community. But I I see countless examples. I'm not saying they're the most common examples, but there's definitely countless examples of people who risk their lives or are motivated by things other than just like living a very, very, very long time. So would you agree with me on that?
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So let's let's start with the scientific approach. Do you think that there are people who are just concerned with like preserving their own life? Like that's their their chief motivation is just, I wanna live at all costs necessary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think there are. I mean, I, I think that um, people don't want to suffer or die or have experienced hard things. And so we make sure to put systems in place that in place that, you know, um, either mitigate or minimize the uh, the pain or the possibility of death. So we do want to survive. And we would a lot of us want to survive at any cost, at, at any cost whatsoever.
0: So yeah. So I'm actually having great difficulty understanding that person because when we think of survival, when you ask somebody, why do you want to survive? It's usually because they are looking forward to things in the future. Like I want to survive so that I can spend uh, time with my children. I want to survive so I can go to that amusement park. I want to survive so I can see the next Star Wars movie, right? There's always, there's always some reason for them to survive. And I'm wondering like it, like why some people? Do you do you th- do you think it's possible that maybe the people who don't want to survive they just not they're depressed or they're just not looking forward to something? Like what what makes some people like clinging on to life? What makes some people cling on to life and others just not cling on to life?
1: Well, I think there are two ways of clinging on, and I think there are two ways of not clinging on. The two ways of clinging on to life are those who want to survive in the sense of they want to do anything in order to preserve their life. And it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter how far they'll be willing to go the distance to preserve their life, even as far as pushing somebody else in front of a moving train. So that they don't have to, this is one of the most beautiful experiences, modern depictions of this, unfortunately have to do it because it's just true, is uh, squid games. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. I don't know if you've seen it. I that.
0: just binge-watched it over the weekend. <laughs>
1: because
0: it, that,
1: that show shows what every single human being is capable of. We're capable of every single action taken there. We are capable of pushing people off giant platforms in order. I mean, you sort of <laughs> using them as... Using them as glass testers, you know we're capable of deceiving our good friends just so that we don't get a bullet, bullet in the head. We're capable of lying to people we said we love. I mean, we do that every day with no stakes, with no risk, no stakes attached. You know, you have a couple. They've you know they've been at it for a while. They say every day they tell each other, "I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you." Man just turns to his left. He sees a nice-looking bandang in a short skirt. He says, "You know what, honey? It's been ten years of marriage, but..." Goodbye, you know. I feel I feel like I'm being called to greater purposes now. And he abandons this woman that he's been promising his life to for no reason. My point, and he wants you say, Well, that's just what one might say that's still scientific. That's just, you know, a man's desire to procreate, man's desire to spread his seed. Well, sure, whatever. Point is that it's still survival. My point is so I think so that's that's the one way. That's the one way of clinging onto life. Another word clinging on to life is not necessarily in the survival, but it's the clinging on to life in the sense of desiring to live one's life to the fullest. Not necessarily that one would survive, but that one will enjoy one's life and and this is uh, this is people like to think of people often think they're like this they're not they just use it as an excuse to do bad things. When, I, when you meet a person like this. It's very interesting. Because it's not about, it's not so much about whether or not they're alive tomorrow, they don't care. It's about being alive right now and everything that means to them. It means a lot to them, being alive right now means, you know? And so, and so that's, I think that's very different from the first person. Then there are two ways of not clinging on to life, right? There's depressed, you know, like manic depressed. You don't want to live, you can't get out of bed. You want to, you know, hurt yourself, throw yourself out of a window, whatever. The point is that you don't want to live. You don't like the fact that you're alive, so you don't hold on to life. Someone could tell you, well, the house is burning down. You say, okay, thank goodness for that. It makes it much easier for me. But that's different from the last one, which is a, which is a person who does not care one lick whether they live or die. That's a soldier, at least a, a proper kind of soldier. He doesn't care. He doesn't cling to his life at all. He's not depressed. He's just brave. He's courageous. That's it. He does not care. If it means taking a bullet for a mate, he'll do it. Because life means everything to him. Not just his life, but the life of the other person beside him. So he'll be willing to give his own life for the life of the other person. So it doesn't cling to life at all. Now, I think that I think that a lot of people, it's not just, you know, it's not just black and white and clear cut. I think there's a mixture of these things. And I think that it, all kinds of people live in this world but i would say that. see here's the thing we're living in a world in a time when science is never wrong even if science is clearly wrong science is never wrong science is science is like the new big brother all right and when we say science we never know what the hell we're talking about we say science and what do we mean but science right everything science It's are so scientific yeah and you're in the grocery store and you're just trying to figure out what which corn to buy and your friend says well you know, you should use a scientific approach. It's like, I just like this corn. I want this one because it looks pretty, you know? But um, I think we're in a time where science is never wrong. So even if science is faced with a blatant and utter contradiction, no one can say anything about it because it's science. And I think it's one of the places that science gets it absolutely wrong
0: yeah definitely I'm, I'm glad that we're bringing squid games in this because i've actually been dying to talk to somebody about this show um yeah just just as a heads up i like as soon as that guy in the subway slapped my face i would have been out i've been like how dare you slap me and it would have in a lawsuit right there <laughs> that's where i stand on the squid games but watching the show myself mm-hmm. i i actually fail to identify with the people that like Shoved people off the bridge that sabotaged other people that cheated people out. Because I'm like, the scientists would look at squid games and be like, Yep, that's accurate. You know, people are going to throw each other off bridges and they're going to steal each other's marbles and do whatever it takes to survive. But I would be like, Okay, let's say I survived this thing what exactly is my meaning in living and surviving that because now i survive this thing but i have to live with the fact that i betrayed all of my friends i have to live with the fact that i killed innocent people i have to like live with the fact that i did atrocious acts now the scientists will just write that away and say oh well that's just your self-preservation kicking in you don't have a choice um, but what I like about the, the thing that I think the show gets right is that there are some altruistic characters. There is that lady who sacrifices herself uh, to save her friend. You know, like there, there are people who commit acts of altruism. And I think though, like, I actually, I'm not saying I would do that, but I identify more with those people because they're like, yeah, th- this person realizes that they won't be able to live with themselves if they act this fiendishly, like like life itself would have no purpose, and and they would be utterly miserable if they survived, and that it, it's better to go off, it's better to go out a little bit too soon than to elongate your life unnaturally and live, live, have to live with the guilt and consequences of all the fiendish things that you did to survive. So, I'm wondering, like, I, I'm wondering what, I'm wondering what separates the selfish person who does everything to self to to preserve themselves and the person who's like, no, 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 like this is not right. Let me let me sacrifice myself right now. I'm wondering, is it just is it just something in their DNA? Is there something in their spirituality? I don't know what it is that that kind of differentiates those two types of mindsets.
1: Okay. Well, it depends on how you look at how you look at life, how you look, how you look at the world. Personally, I don't think that people are slaves to the DNA. Thing that we can make choices that kind of contradict our heritage absolutely because if you think about it, human beings is progressively how you say we've based on based on you know i would say um, modern laws modern advancements in how you say um psychology philosophy and and yeah, quote unquote science right technology and so forth we're very different from our earlier counterparts and them and them, you know, even more than those before them. So we, there was a time, if you believe, if you believe in evolution, right? You, there was a time we would say that we were nothing more than barbarians, nothing more than animalistic creatures, right? Food, good. You have food. I whack you over the head with a stick. Food, mine. So, <laughs> and we do this on and on and on and on and on. You would you would imagine that over time, it simply would be a reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Of that behavior and so forth, but you find that over time, something began to change. Now, this is that if you see it this way, something began to change. And food, good. You have food. It's no longer about whacking you over the head with the food, in fact, whacking you over the head for the food, but some other means of getting that food, either trickery or, you know, buying it or, you know, working for you or whatever it is. My point is simply that. I don't think. I think that we have. Is that the whole thing about you know mind over matter? So I, I wouldn't say that it was. I don't. I don't think it's simply our DNA because. And if it is our DNA, I think it's still our responsibility because we still have choices. One of the things I despise. I wouldn't say despise. I think that's too strong a word, and it doesn't really. It's something I dislike, but I strongly dislike it. Not towards the person, but the idea is troublesome. When a person says that it's not my fault, it's my DNA. It's not like, it's not my fault. Like I, I I did this because it's in my DNA, right? It's like, okay, wonderful. So what do I do here? Do I arrest your DNA? You know, do I, like, what do I do here? Are you, because by what we're trying to say, often what we're trying to say is what we're trying to do is minimize well let's minimize our guilt minimize our our fault in a situation and say well you know it is what it is i i'm just a product of my history like no you're not because you you recognize that as your history so you're a conscious being right like if a lion bit the crap out of a man that line is not going to jail because it's it's not, a, if, if, if it has a consciousness, it hasn't proven itself to have the same kind of consciousness humans do. And so we have, we have it to be some sort of an instinctual or an inferior consciousness. So when a lion attacks a man, we're like, well mate, you were way too close to it. We don't look at the lion, we look at the man, like, you are close to it because you're a conscious being. You're looking at it and you're putting your finger in its mouth, so you deserve that. But when a human being murders another one, we look at that, we don't We don't look at the victim. We don't look and say, well, you know, you kind of deserve that, you know he was a killer. You walked into his house, ate some bread. No. <laughs> we look at the killer, we say, well, you should have done that because he's a human, a killer human, and we live in a society with laws. The very fact that we have laws kind of indicates that we are capable of following those laws. So I I think, I think it's more the mind. I think it's more the choices we make and the
0: DNA. Yes, and I think I think both both you and I were we're both not fans of Sam Harris, and that you know we believe that humans fundamentally have free will, and I think that scientists types like Sam Harris try and reduce the human experience to animalistic terms, where you know your DNA is the same DNA as a lion. You're just pre-programmed to eat uh, an antelope or whatever it is, right? And I'm like. No, there's something, yes, yes, we do have biological proclivities and urges, but we're not submissive to that. Like, I would argue that if the lion does not have pure free will, like, if the lion's hungry, it's going to eat whatever is running around it. It doesn't have like the free will to say, No, it's morally wrong to eat this antelope right now. It has like kids to provide for and so forth. And I think, yeah, they don't care. And I think science tries to do that to us. It says, You know, it, it says all things are forgivable. Like, that guy pushing someone else you know, off a bridge in squid games, 100% forgivable because that person's reflexive DNA is just screaming at them. You need to survive this man. You need to survive. Go ahead, push that person off a bridge, do whatever it takes to survive so that you can see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, this, th- this is what I think separates us uh, from the animals in many respects. I think the animal might just have a it's hard to say. I can't enter a lion's mind. It just—it's too hard to imagine. But I would imagine that they just want to do whatever it takes to survive. Whereas with us, we're ask—we're constantly asking ourselves, "What is my purpose in surviving?" Right? Because when when we when we're running low on food, it's not just enough to say, "I'm hungry. Let me eat." We're also asking ourselves what's the utility or what's the value in me making it to age 80 years old, right? I always ask, I ask myself that question every single day of like, what's the purpose in me making it to 80 or 90? Because if I make it to 90 years old and I have zero friends, zero meaning, I'm not doing anything productive, I'm like sitting on a park bench and, and don't have a home or whatever it is, I'm like, you know, I have to say, like, I can have all the food in the world and I can keep I can keep getting sustenance to keep surviving, but if my life is uh, devoid of any sort of meaning, it's it's going to kind of stifle my my desire to survive. Whereas I don't think animals have that. Animals don't care how many friends they have. They just they just are pre-programmed to survive. Whereas with us, I think we're survive- we're pre-programmed to survive for a specific cause or meaning. And that's that's where I think the, the scientists just turn a blind spot. They just the scientists argue we are pre-programmed to survive for the sake of survival. Whereas I think uh, you know religion, mythology, all of this philosophy says no, we're pre-programmed to survive for a specific purpose.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think, I think purpose matters. If you survive and you have nothing at the end of the day, then what's the point, mate? what's the point well might say, well i'm just satisfied that i'm here it's like i look around and i just like being here my family's dead i yeah i looked at i outlived everyone and i made sure to you know to come out the king of the hill and i guess some people to them it matters that they just the purpose is just being the final one just being the one who outlived everyone they wanted to outlive out-survive everyone they wanted to out-survive but at the end of the day it's like okay sure cool bro cool cool bro you know um i,
0: I just don't get this battle royale kind of mentality to life now, i'll give you an example of this right I, i'm not saying i believe in this but there's like this speculation that like the billionaires are trying to go to mars because they think the earth is going to blow up or climate change whatever let, let's just run let, i don't believe in any of that but let's just run with that theory that like these billionaires are trying to escape earth and then go to Mars so that they can continue to live. And I'm like, that sounds like a very, very, very sad plan. Because what are you going to do? You're going to go to Mars, a planet that has like no oxygen, no trees, like a a climate that's far worse than Earth. And what are you going to do? You're going to live until 90, eating like stupid frozen meals and cans of soup. That doesn't like you. Technically, you might be the last human being alive, but there's no one there to validate that. Right. There's no one there to be like, oh, congratulations. You're the last human being surviving on canned soup on Mars. You know, way, way to go, buddy. You know, like so I, I don't understand this point of just surviving for the sake of because if there's no one around that's validating Uh, your existence or validating you know like you haven't you haven't left anything that's of no that's noteworthy I I mean it's hard for me to just understand that behavior I just don't get it
1: well the the understanding I can I can see why that I mean that is not how you the reason it's hard to understand is because it's not not normal it's not it's just not it's not even that it's not normal because as normal you can understand things that aren't normal but this is a strangeness. It's, it's a stranger kind of behavior and thought process. And I don't know how people come to this place. I think I do, I do know, but I do know. I just um, I haven't given in enough thoughts. But I suspect that it's it's when you think that when you think this is all there is, this is all there is, mate. I'd be hard pressed to find someone who could and wouldn't try to survive as long as they could in all of this for some people life is like a game but it's not like a cool game it's like a fun game it's like a bad game you know it's like a it's like this thing where they have to they have to find all the cheat codes and have to play it um, put in all the cheat codes and make sure that they're they are you know they come out on top and this is a very strange way of looking at life but so my friend once asked me a question. He said, uh, what's, what's more important, quantity of life or quality of life? I prefer both, but I had to choose. I think quality, personally, now everybody has a different answer, but for me, and I suspect for you, it's quality that matters. It doesn't matter how long you live. The question is, short amount of time, or well, you could live long too, it doesn't matter. Because here's the thing, when you when you have quality quantity, you're not guaranteed quality. When you have quality, you are somewhat guaranteed quality. Quantity, excuse me. Because you could live your life to the fullest and end up living up to your 80s and 90s and so forth. I personally don't see the appealing of that, but I, I can see that could happen. But if you live to if you live, if you live, try if you try to preserve your life, you try to, you know, I must live till 90, and you don't do anything you ever wanted to do, you never smoke those cigars or the pipe. You never ate the steak and the the barbecue sauce chicken thing you really loved. You never went skydiving or whatever it is people do these days at the act. Some people pretend to like skydiving. Other people actually do like skydiving. But whatever it is you really like, you find that most things you like doing in this world might kill you. (laughs) They they, they just might. Nothing, I mean, even driving, like driving about 60, 70, 80 miles an hour on a highway Listen, with no helmet in your car, by the way. Like We should wear helmets. Well, if there's any way we should wear helmets, it's probably the car as well. We're we're driving 80 miles an hour on a freeway while the other bastard is driving the exact same speed and we're trusting about, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people to behave themselves behind the wheel. You're a banana slip away from a car crash, mate. A banana slip. So I think I, I I think quality of life is far more important, and I think it's actually is the only thing that's that's it's is the only thing in your hands, you know that you can actually play a part in achieving.
0: Yeah, no, this is interesting what you're saying. So I I agree with you. I'm much on the I would prefer a shorter life that is rich in quali- qualitative experiences than having, you know, just a, like a numerically long life. I'm like, oh, I live to be 99, but um, you know, the past 25 years I've been eating TV dinners and not doing all that much, right? Like, like 100% get that. I'm wondering, um, do you think that there are some people that do fiendish things to enhance both the quantity and the quality of their life. And I'll give you an example. So let's say I want more money. And I think that more money is going to allow me to have a higher quality of life. So if I have more money, I can take more vacations, I can go scuba diving, I can take that Hawaiian vacation. So do you think some people are motivated by the fact that like, I am going to do fiendish things, I'm gonna get my coworkers in trouble, I'm gonna throw them under the bus, I'm gonna do everything in my power to gain more money so that I can one, have like a longer life and two, have more rich qualitative experiences. What might be some of the flaws of that thinking?
1: well first of all is they're not thinking they're not not thinking what's happening is they think thoughts are bouncing around in their heads and they're picking the ones that make them feel good or the ones that it's like oh this thought good me hold this thought me walk with this thought yes it's like that's not thinking mate because here's the thing the first thing is what is quality What, what is quality what is the quality of life what are we what are we referring to are we talking about more money Well, I guess that could play a part in it, but it can't be the entirety. Here's why. There are millionaires who still kill themselves. They still kill themselves. There are people who have all the money in the world and you're depressed, can't spend the money. They don't know what to do with it, which is very ironic. You have all the money in the world and you can't spend it because you're too unhappy to even lift a finger to spend it. Everything you buy and do, is just a freaking task. You hear this all the time with celebrities. It's like you have all the money in the world, you're joint jumping into heroin and cocaine and booze. And sp- what is going on with these people? All the money in the world, and you can't, the only thing you want to do is escape reality.
0: I don't understand this. I, I have a theory behind this, and my theory behind this is that a lot of these people. I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them may have had to throw a number of people under the bus in order to get that power. And what what ends up happening is that they get the money and they and and like, I don't mean like what happens is that they have these corpses in their lives. I don't mean literal. They they didn't literally kill somebody, but they like ruin someone's career. They sabotage someone else. they you know, they did a whole bunch of other things like they they kind of took the crooked way up the escalator and now they've alienated a, a ton of their friends, maybe even alienated a ton of their family. So they they obtain the money and that theoretically should buy them the high, rich, qualitative experiences. Nope. But then they're constantly daunted and they're constantly reminded of all the countless friends that they you know, screwed over in order to get you know, that money. And that's what makes them depressed because they have the money, but they don't have the friends. They don't have the family. They don't have those people in their lives that, that allow them to live like a, 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 rich, like when I say rich, I don't mean in a monetary way, but a rich life filled with personal connections because they had, they, they screwed over all of those good people in order to get where they were.
1: Well, my good man, I think it makes sense. It makes sense. See guilt and unkindnesses and bad things we do put it simply weigh us down we think they don't we'd like to think they don't you know oh yes i'm you know i'm a modern man i i don't believe in your silly little morality of the past i'm i'm enlightened well you you've got like six needle in your arms pumping in happy drugs so yeah you're not happy the point is simply that i think you're right I think that, you know, this is where um, I don't think that philosophy is like, you know, perfect. And you know, the thing that saves humanity, I think that there are there's a lot of it, though, that can be helpful when people think and know the difference between right and wrong and are capable and choose to be capable of making those kinds of decisions, making the right decisions, mm-hmm. we find that not only did it become... Proud of themselves in the sense of they, they they're, the, they're the kind of people when they look themselves in the mirror, they're not ashamed. They're happy with who they are because they, they make the right decisions. But I think you're right. When, when it comes to people like that, you know, who toss people who toss their friends and family or whatever, whoever it is under the bus for the sake of the money, which is not in any way quality of life, you know, no, I remember, was it you who said this? I can remember where, where I heard this, you said, uh, you know well if it's a great
0: you, saying I said it
1: <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you ask somebody um, when you ask somebody in the deathbed yeah you you're, you have five minutes until you die. What would you like to see? It says oh bring me all my trophies I just want to hug them one more time. I don't remember who said it but I think I, I suspect it was one of our conversations but i don't remember for certain
0: i don't think it was me but uh, that sounds pretty cool
1: and just, you know i don't i don't think they'd say you know bring me all the trophies i just love to hug those trophies and kiss them one more time secondly like, you know, usually want your family and friends and uh i think the quality of life begins and in in, begins inside our being right if you have peace inside if you settle your debts to yourself, to your innermost being. When I say it to yourself, people say, "Well, I'm to buy myself that new Rolls Royce." That's not what I mean. <laughs> if you settle your debts, your internal debts, and you can find peace in your own heart, I think you can you can begin. That's where it, really where it does begin. Everything else is everything else is secondary. Because a lot of people live their lives long lives and have no peace at all. I
0: like I, I like I like this word internal debts. Okay, I want to, you know, I'm glad that we're talking about Squid Games here because I think the scientists are right that there are there are a number, I'm not saying the majority, it, it could be 40%. It, it's definitely like around 30 to 40%, you know, where there's a scene where everyone's looking at the piggy bank in the Squid Games. And you can see in their eyes when they look at that piggy bank filled with money that they're like, that's the meaning of life. Like You can see in their eyes when they look at that piggy bank being filled with money, they're like, there's no other purpose other than this piggy bank filled with money. Mm -hmm. And how do we, is it possible to start conditioning these people out of that kind of like you know, way of thinking, or are those people just helpless? Because, you know, I, I, think you and I get it. We, we fundamentally get like, don't get me wrong. We need money to survive and all that other good stuff, but we fundamentally get that that's not going to make us happy. Hey,
1: trust me, man. I'll push you down the building for some cash. <laughs>
0: Good to know. This is all a facade, right, no, Kenny? This not yeah. the real Kenny. <laughs> um, but, but, but how do we how do we start talking with those people whose eyes light up with the piggy bank, thinking, "Yeah, it's all about pushing people out of the way. It's all about being conniving." And, and this is, you know, this is a, like. There's a lot of people, especially when you're like in your early twenties we tend to idolize people who are conniving or clever or Machiavellian types, right? How do we start talking with these people and saying, hey, that giant piggy bank up there, that's not what life is about. That's not what's gonna bring you happiness and meaning. Because it sounds almost like a cliche at this point, like money doesn't bring you happiness. Like people have heard that a thousand times. What else could I be adding to that conversation that could genuinely persuade them?
1: No idea, mate. I have no idea. Um, I don't think that. yeah, I'm going to just, I, I don't think that people can change other people very easily. I think it takes something extraordinary to change a person. And usually when, when you've had a chance to influence someone it, more often, it's when you didn't even know you were influencing them. But I don't think, I don't think it's easy. The only people that can really, that really have those kinds of influential power in our lives are those who we respect. You know, like we really respect them. If Brad Pitt told me that, hey Kenny, you know, you might look better bald. Let's just say that my next visit will be to the barber. <laughs> Hell, I might even wait that long. I just start cutting it with a scissor. The point is simply that there are people we respect and they have they have power. We listen to them because we find them, we find value in your words. We find value in your actions and in your life. So I don't think that um, anybody, just anyone can, can, can talk to a person like that. I think it has to be the right person, but I do believe it's possible. I think it's possible.
0: But there's, there, there, there's something very problematic here because if Brad Pitt came up to you and said, Kenny, money doesn't mean anything, you don't need to worry about it. It's easy for the guy who's worth $600 million or whatever to tell you that, right? So it's hard because on one hand, the people that we respect the most are people who are very wealthy. So it's almost hypocritical or contradictory of them to say, oh, you know, I have like $700 million in the bank, but money doesn't really matter. Whereas if the poor person says, oh, yeah, money doesn't really matter, we then turn to that poor person and say, oh, well, that's just your defense mechanism because you're poor. So yeah. it's like, it's like a, you can't really win in this situation. If the rich guy tells you money doesn't really matter, you call him a hypocrite. If the poor person tells you money doesn't matter, He's you say, yeah, you're just, a lo- you're just rationalizing your own loser your loser-like behavior. So it's, it's really tough.
1: Yes, it's, it's, yeah, that's why It's very hard. It's very hard, especially this one. when it comes to what people really want: money, power, sex. You cannot, you cannot change a person's mind here yeah. in these three these three areas of life. A person wants to take a certain action that will bring them more of these things. You cannot stop them, unless, of course, you're an extraordinary human being, or unless, of course, they absolutely, absolutely, to the very. To the very core of your soul, respect you.
0: So there is there is one sh- hope, and it actually um, I'm kind of thinking of Squid Games here again. Man, what a brilliant show! Right, we just keep coming back. Brilliant show! Brilliant show! <laughs> uh, whoever,
1: all the writers and the um, and the actors on it. Uh, good
0: job. Yeah, they did an excellent job. Um, so <laughs> there is one scene, like in the marble scene, where the girl. Um, sacrifices her life for the, the the North Korean defector and so forth. And what about the power of altruistic sacrifice? Because let's just say that your mindset is this is a doggy dog world. This is a doggy dog world. Everyone's out for themselves. Money matters. You know, if I don't if I don't take out that person, they're going to take me out. But then somewhere along the line somebody makes an altruistic sacrifice. It doesn't have to be their life. It could just be like, hey, man, I'm going to put in a good word for you. Or, hey, man, I, I think that you should get this promotion, not me. So maybe if there's like more examples of people making altruistic sacrifices, again, it doesn't have to be the ultimate altru- altruistic sacrifice of sacrificing your life. But mm-hmm. if there's more of that kind of behavior, then people, their, their mind gets warped a little bit and they think, wait a minute, you know, this person has just proven to me It's not such a doggy dog world. There are people out there who are willing to make altruistic sacrifices and therefore, you know, there's some inherent value in that because I think because I think that talk is cheap. We know that we know that talk is cheap when the billionaire says money doesn't really matter. Talk is cheap. But if that person is actually like there like there are some. Uh, I read about this one millionaire who actually just gave up his entire fortune and like he gave up, he gave away all of his money except for like $200,000 or something like that. And I'm like, well, okay. Now, now we're talking, we're talking, there's some, there's some steps behind your, your mantra there. So I, I do believe that like actions, especially altruistic actions can influence people because it shows them, it shows them that people can break outside the barriers of 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 like what they believe is reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, I mean, that's a clear example. I think that it's possible. I think it could could be done, especially if it's sincere, because sincerity is quite easy to fake. You just have to have the right tone, the right look in your eye, the right tearful look in your eye. But if it's done, if it's done, it's done. If it, if it's sincere and it accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish, amen to you. That's lovely. So I do believe in that. I do believe that that's a good good way to go about it. Unfortunately, it just, there's something strange about the world we're living in, where even something so good can be so, and um, so not good, but, but I, I Fundamentally, I would say that absolutely yes, I believe that. I think you're right. Sacrifices speak much louder than words.
0: I mean, one thing that's tremendously sad is that that millionaire who I just talked about, who gave up all of his millions of dollars and like reduced himself to two hundred thousand dollars. What's sad is I can't actually recall his name. Right. So, like that guy actually made a huge sacrifice, and yet. He's like a blip in the news cycle. He's he's you know, he's like just briefly mentioned. And I'm like, maybe it's incumbent upon us to start celebrating those people of tremendous sacrifice a bit more and kind of elevating them. You're okay, you're shaking your head. No, why not? Go ahead.
1: I would say no. I would say no. Because then you have the fakies, people who want to fake it so they can get celebrated. I would say don't even it shouldn't even. It, this is just my ideal world, right? Like it shouldn't even be covered. No one should know his name. That's fine. Why should anybody know his name? Did he do it so people would know his name? Then it wasn't altruistic.
0: Well, I I think I think that the person doing it should assume that they're not going to get any fame or notoriety for it. But we could take it upon ourselves to celebrate that person, even if that person did not want to be celebrated. Does that make sense? So like the person is doing it because they're just a good person, and they don't care whether they're celebrated or not celebrated. But we are just we as people standing on the sidelines are seeing that behavior and saying, you know what, uh, we should we should do something about that so yeah, that we I can encourage you. other people to do this.
1: That's the thing. That's the second part is where the problem arises. Once you celebrate, so you encourage other people to do it. Other people are going to do it. They will. Oh, it'll start. All right. But then it'll become something else it'll become something else you ever been in a place where people are donating to you're donating to charity i donate one million dollars to charity yes i donate 50 million dollars to charity yes.
0: <laughs> i don't run in those kind of circles but okay <laughs> like, holy crap
1: what the hell is going on here right <laughs> <laughs> and these people are doing it and they're, they're 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 and they have these people have mad money you know what I mean? they have mad money sure they're like yeah who cares like the charity still gets the money i'm not like, sure of course the charity still gets the money but i don't even trust i don't give a crap about charities because first of all come on man most charities are <laughs> let me not get into that but the point is simply that when people start to celebrate giving and altruistic sacrifice, quote unquote, right? I think that it, it, it brings an opportunity for fakers and people who want to just use that as a, some sort of a publicity thing um, to their own, basically to their own advantage and so forth. We start to snowball into a very, very, it, it's, it's worse when you are um, when you're a morally bad person portraying yourself as a good human being. I'd rather you be a horrible human being and express yourself as a horrible human being because then there's hope, and I know who the hell I'm dealing with. But I think I think it's good it's good to there's nothing wrong with celebrating them. I just want I just want you all to know that there's a danger. Once you start celebrating them, it's gonna snowball into all kinds of crazy.
0: But this is interesting because we have to celebrate something, right? Like we're, we're always trying to, to we're, we're always trying to find the ideal of something. And if we don't celebrate the altruistic folk or the fake altruistic folk, we're going to be like, okay, well, what, what should I aspire to? And it could be, it could be the people who are extremely clever, cunning, and selfish that we start, which it seems like we're doing right now. We seem to be living in a world where we worship people who are clever, cunning, swift, rich. And I'm like, How do we shift the focus in a very natural way to something better than that? And I hear, I hear what you're saying that there could be a lot of phony, baloney people stepping up and, you know, falsely advertising that mantle. I I hear you on that, but there's got to be a way that we get our focus off people who are just, you know, cutthroat and cunning because I think that's where we are right now. We we are definitely, or uh, at least we have been here for several decades now. Of like, oh, this person, you know, ran this company and then they took over that one and bought them out for 5.9 you know it's like we got to get out of this because we're celebrating we're celebrating behavior that isn't very helpful to humanity and i well, don't know, yeah go ahead
1: no sorry i didn't mean to think, cut you off go on please
0: i'm just saying that like the behavior that we're, we're currently celebrating is not the best of, of human nature and i i we we've got to reshift we got to shuffle the focus somehow
1: well, that makes sense. And I think it's possible. It's just a lot of work. And I think, well, I don't know that it's, excuse me, let me take that back really quickly. I don't think it's possible in the sense of we could we could practically do this. I think it's possible theoretically. <laughs> so hopefully if we can do it, I say, why not? Let's shoot for the sun. Shoot for the moon, boy-o.
0: So Well, We're, we're philosophers. We're, we live in theory. We don't actually have to do anything.
1: <laughs> way I like it. um so i think that's so it's kind of like this okay you have a bus full of 50 people and all these 50 people are waiting for their conductor and uh i don't know if you can always know what back home there's there's something we call a conductor he gets in the bus with you he's the one who collects the change while the driver um The driver i guess drives yes that's what he does (laughs) the driver drives and he basically yells out where the bus is going next if you have any problems or troubles the conductor conducts he makes sure that all things are right in the bus right while the driver drives so no one distracts the driver so everyone is waiting for the conductor and the conductor comes in and he's this you know is this weird-looking charlatan you know, of a fellow comes in and says, ah, yes, everybody, take $5 out of your neighbor's pockets and put it in my pockets. And people are like, oh, man, I guess this guy's making a lot of sense. It's just an example, and I'm just trying to be silly. But at the same time, convey something, hopefully. is you know, And they're like, oh, this guy makes sense. Ah, $5 out of my neighbor's pockets. I mean, I don't have to pay. That's great. <laughs> Idiots. And they put it in the conductor's hands. They're like, ooh, you know, we, we, we just stole from, you know, we just stole from our neighbor and we gave it to this conductor. I didn't have to pay anything at all. And everybody's happy about that. And the bus goes on. But there's another group of there's another bus. The conductor gets up and goes to another bus. And these people are they're a bit they're a bit kooky and strange themselves, right? and this, he says, says the same thing he says everybody you know take five dollars out of your neighbor's pockets and put it in my pockets and they all of them look at each other like why would we do that i mean we could just pay from our own pockets first of all second is um that's not that's you know that's not right that's stealing mate and uh we don't <laughs> we don't really care for that right we don't want to do that so it, it, my point is that these, the, the conductor only has power in, a, in the bus, first bus, because those people were just, they, were, they didn't have understanding, they didn't have any morals, and they were out for themselves. And because of that, they were fools. The second bus had people, who, people of understanding, people of knowledge and wisdom, and because they were wise, and hopefully good people. Yeah. My point is, if he wants to change, public opinion, if you want to change public pop culture, public culture, what I would say, that's popular culture, but public makes popular culture. What I would say is it starts young. It starts when you're young. It starts in the schools, it starts in the homes. It starts in the Sunday schools. And I don't know what Muslims and Buddhists have for educating their youngs too, but it starts there. It starts in the, in the places of low repute. It's not a universities. So universities do not teach you the fundamental things of life. Universities stuff your head with sometimes good knowledge, sometimes useless and harmful knowledge. The fundamental lessons of life begin in the home, in the schools, in the Sunday schools and the like. And if you can meet the children there, if you can meet those people that are future there, that's because you're meeting the future, and it sounds very silly and I hate saying it because I sound like a tool, but if you can meet the future there, you can, you, you can, you can effectively change the, the course of a generation, but it's incredibly difficult. It's almost impossible, but please go on.
0: The, the other thing about your bus driver example is when the bus driver says, rob your neighbor, well, everyone also on that bus has to realize that they are someone else's neighbor, meaning exactly. that they, that they, the that they too, that, that they too are going to be robbed of their five dollars.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> but they think they think they're in the clear because they're selfish and dumb.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so in actuality, every so I, I think that this kind of ties into like theories about life and and maybe even the Squid Games and all of that stuff. Is that you for you know in one instance you might be the guy pushing someone over a bridge but in another instance you're going to be the guy falling over the bridge right someone else is going to push you so i think that
1: do as you would be done
0: by so i yes yeah so i think that you need to I, i think we have to kind of appeal to perhaps people's selfishness in order to then appear appeal to their like altruism by by virtue of saying like well if everyone is acting in this very doggy dog way, it's only a matter of time that you're going to get your butt kicked. That's why I think as we get older, we actually become, I'm not saying for everybody, there are some wicked old men and so forth. But I think as we get older, we start becoming a little bit more empathetic because we've gotten our butts kicked a few times. And we we know that life can be very rough. Whereas when you're younger, you think you're immortal and you think you're invincible. And they were like, well, I won't be the one kicked off the bridge. I'm—I'll be super clever, and you know, it's like, it's like when I'm teaching history and I'm teaching like World War One or World War Two. All of them were like, I would have gone in there with a rifle, and I would have done, you know. And it's like, all right, dude, nothing. I can see that nothing bad has ever happened to you, and that's why you think you're going to be—you're going to be Rambo, right? So like people who are younger and just haven't had bad things happen to them yet think that they are Rambo and therefore they would support an ideology of doggy dog world. Whereas people have, who have gotten their butt sufficiently kicked realize, wait a minute, I think we need to restructure society that's a bit more gentler and, and kinder.
1: Yeah. And I think a good kick in the arse to really reset things for you. I believe so.
0: So, I, I think I, I, you know, to think about what motivates people, I, I think that you're right. I think it does come down to wisdom. I, I don't like when I was younger, I'm sure I would have fallen into the same uh, trap of saying, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, make mad money and money, good money, this money, that it's only I, I think it's only through, I, I guess, suffering. I mean, suffering in all of our podcasts, it seems like suffering is the answer to all, all of life's problems in some way. But I, I think that maybe seeing seeing what, it, what exactly constitute a, wor- a worthwhile life and having people actually ruminate and think about what is actually going to make them feel happy, uh, mm-hmm. what is actually going to provide them the most meaning. And I, I, I think connecting that with, with interpersonal connections is, is going to be our strongest way forward. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: My good man, thank you for having me.
0: This concludes the 164th episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Asrod.